morning. How's everyone doing? That was good. It's good to be here. I love singing that song. I was actually praying this morning in the car and I just felt like God put that song on my heart and then I turned up to church and the worship team was singing it. I was just thinking, oh, God is good. He's making everything work together for his good. So if you don't know me, my name is Claire and um, I've been at Hills Church for a few years, um, just the 21. Um, And... uh, I first came here because my dad was the pastor here for eight years. He's down the front this morning. What a guy. OG Marcatenos. So, um, but it's an absolute privilege to be a part of this family and to be up here this morning. So if you are new to Hills, we've been going through a series where we've been reading the book called The Story. And um, it's one continuous story of the happenings of the Bible. And we're starting to get a little bit closer to the end. We're, we're in the New Testament now. And, um, and last week we heard Jay speak about the lead up to Jesus being arrested, his trial, and the world's darkest moment when the King of Kings was crucified. Have you ever had something in your life that's had a bit of a build up? Maybe it's a uni degree that took you a long time to get to your graduation day or... Perhaps you've been engaged and then finally it's your wedding day. Or maybe you've been growing a baby in your belly for nine months and then your waters break. There are a lot of things in life that have a build-up to one defining moment. And I feel like we're there with this week. All the stories have led to this. This week we move into the time after Jesus' death and resurrection. Chapter 27 begins after the death of Jesus, and he cries out, it is finished, and the veil was torn. Now, I'm a visual person, so I've brought some visual aids because I like to drop that I've travelled, but I've got a picture that I took. I I did a a trip over to Israel and Palestine, and this is a picture of Golgotha. So this is where they believe, and they're pretty certain that Jesus was crucified, and you can kind of see... Um, what, what's Golgotha mean again? The hill of the skull? Skull, yes. So you can see, kind of see the, the eyeball thingies. Anyway, use your imagination. So that's where, just visual aid there, that's where they believe Jesus was crucified. And now at that time, it was um, um, Jewish law condemned leaving a crucified body out overnight. Um, so the chief priest sent the soldiers out to take the necessary steps to ensure that Jesus and the two thieves um, died. Um, I won't go into detail about that. But as we know, Jesus was already dead and they confirmed this by stabbing him in the side. And the result was blood and water flowing from Jesus' body. Now, this fact is actually important in proving that Jesus was dead. Um, Jesus, Jesus' body had gone into hypervolemic shock Now, medical people, I'm really sorry if I pronounced that wrong. I've been practicing hypovolemic shock, which is when the heart beats so rapidly that fluid starts to to gather around the heart, and it means that the heart can no longer beat. So the fact that fluid flowed from Jesus' body shows that this had occurred and he was, in fact, dead. So he wasn't just pretending. In comes Joseph, well, sorry. In comes Joseph of Arimathea. 
Now, Joseph was a member of council, but he was actually a secret follower of Jesus. And he went and he asked Pilate if he could take and bury the body, which Pilate agreed. Now, along with Nicodemus, Jesus, uh, Joseph took Jesus' body and they wrapped it as was Jewish custom and they placed him in Joseph's tomb. And now the fact that Joseph had a tomb that was cut from stone just showed how wealthy this guy was. It was a big deal. And it was also incredibly controversial that he put Jesus in his own tomb because that should have been left for Joseph himself or any of his family members. So I do... Again, I, I took some photos at the garden tomb. This is where they believe Jesus um, was buried. So you can see I'm there. Can you see I'm in a, I'm in a khaki jacket? It's me, <laughs> same top knot. So I've got some other photos there. That's it, that's a nice one. I didn't take that one. Oh, there I am. I'm pointing and then there's one more. So that's where they believe Jesus' body was placed. Good to have some visual aids, right? I've never thought to like even Google this until I went and saw it. And I was like, this is cool. Now I can visualize it, right? So moving into the following day, the chief priest started to recall Jesus speaking about rising from the dead. Now they didn't believe that he actually would, but they did suspect that Jesus' disciples might come in the night and claim that he'd risen from the dead. So they placed a rock over the tomb and had guards stand outside to keep it safe. Skip to the next day, Mary Magdalene, Mary, mother of Jesus, and Salome, the mother of John and James, go out to visit Jesus' tomb. And as they arrive, an angel of the Lord comes down and rolls the stone away. The angels tell them that Jesus is not there, he has risen, and that they should go and tell the disciples. So they do that, and the disciples are in disbelief, and they run out to the tomb, and they discover, yes, Jesus was not there. We see that Mary Magdalene has an encounter with not only two angels, but with Jesus himself, who reveals himself to her, showing that he had risen from the dead. Slowly, Jesus continues to reveal himself to others. He joins two followers on the walk to Emmaus, and Jesus actually keeps his identity hidden at first as he talks with them about what has occurred in Jerusalem in the previous days. You know, it makes me feel like Jesus is actually a little bit cheeky there. Like, he's walking along with them going, oh yeah, and then what happened? Oh, Jesus, you're funny guy. Like, right? They're, they're telling him that Jesus has been crucified. He's Jesus. He knows. Funny. He's got a sense of humor. But he does reveal himself, and then he instantly disappears, which I'm sure would have been an incredible shock. These two men then travel back to Jerusalem to inform the 11 disciples. And what do you know? Jesus instantly appears to them. And the 11 are in shock and disbelief. And Jesus says, see my hands and my feet. I am myself. And he fellowships with them and opens their minds to understand the scriptures. And I've just got one last photo. This is the Sea of Galilee. And finally, in this chapter, it looks at Jesus at Galilee, and we see Jesus call to Simon, Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, two sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples, who, despite being out on the water, catching no fish, commands them to throw their nets in one more time. And they throw it in to the right side, and to their amazement, they catch all the fish. So much so that their nets start to break. 
Now, it's important to note that generally, fishermen will throw their nets in on the left side so that they can pull the fish in with their predominantly strong arm, the right. And I just feel like this is a symbol of not only God's provision, but that it's not in our own strength we are to rely on. Jesus calls on them to feed his sheep, to care for his sheep, and to follow him, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus coming to earth and dying for our sins wasn't the original plan. If we were living in God's original plan, we'd be having a great time in the Garden of Eden right now. But sin did enter the world, and his perfect plan was unable to continue. So plan B came into effect, and we see the King of Kings sending his son to convict, revive, and encourage. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are so worthy. Lord, we do ask that you would open our eyes this morning. You'd open our hearts, Lord Jesus, and that you would meet us where we are. Lord God, we do just thank you that that you sent your son to die for us. It wasn't your sin that held Jesus there. It was ours, Lord God, but you still did it because you love us. Lord Jesus, help us to comprehend that this morning. Lord Jesus, please be with us as we delve into your word. In your precious name, amen. I wonder, is there anyone here that enjoys gardening? Yeah? yeah? Raise your hand. You enjoy gardening? Yes. Gardening friends, let's, let's talk. Now, if you know me, you know I have a concerning amount of houseplants. I cannot have a social life because I'm too busy trying to keep all my plants alive. Now, regardless of whether you're a crazy plant person like me, you'll know that to grow a plant, you first need to get a seed, you put it in the dirt, and you give it some nutrients. And what actually happens is that seed dies. To make the plant, the seed itself has to die to itself. And that's what the death of Jesus means for us. My first point this morning is that the resurrection allows us to die to oneself. Now, this point might not sound very appealing. I've got to die to myself. But the resurrection of Christ has allowed us to die to our earthly self, the self that lives in sin, the self that lives in addiction and pain and hurt. The resurrection of Christ has allowed us to be like that seed, to be planted in the dirt and no longer be lifeless. George Mueller said, there was a day when I died. I died to self, my opinions, preferences, tastes and will, died to the world, its approval or censure, died to the approval or blame even of my brethren or friends. And since then, I have studied only to show myself approval unto God. And now it's starting to sound a little bit more appealing, right? When we die to oneself, we no longer have to be bound to a world where we have to win the approval of others, where we have to live in shame or be tied to the ways of the world. The resurrection has allowed a way for us to be free of those things. 
Romans 6, 1 said, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? And it continues on in verse 6. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin for one who has died has been set free from sin. It's pretty good, hey? This doesn't mean that you have to die to who God has made you. I'm sure there's a few of you in here that think I'm a bit of a, bit of a unique young lady. And I'm sorry to tell you that me dying to myself is not going to change that. I'm still going to be pretty unique. But it's allowed the ways of the world, the sin of this world, to be left behind and no longer hold me back. Luke 9.23 says, Then he said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? The resurrection of Jesus allows us and calls us to die to ourselves, to deny ourselves of the things of this world, to find freedom in him. But it's not only allowed us to die to oneself the resurrection has allowed us to be reborn. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. When that seed in the soil dies as a seed, it then becomes a new thing. It's a seedling. It no longer is a seed. And it's like that with our walk with Jesus. Just like when we die to ourselves and, our thing, and the things of this world, we become new creations in Christ. We've left behind the things that bring death and have entered into the kingdom of God where he brings eternal life. Ezekiel eleven nineteen to 20 says, And I will give them one heart, and a new heart, a new spirit I will put within them. I will remove the, sea, the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh, that they may walk in my stature and keep my rules and obey them. And they shall be my people and I will be their God. When we accept Jesus into our lives and allow him to work in us, when we give over the ways of the world, we become a new creation. And it's so important that we do this. John 3.3 says, Jesus replied, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. If we want the good things that God has in store for us, if we want to enter the kingdom of heaven, we must first be born again. And we can only do that because of what Jesus did for us. I want you to have a think about what your greatest fear or phobia is. So have a think in your mind. No, I personally am fearful of failure. I'm fearful of loud noises. I'm super jumpy. 
And I'm also fearful that when I'm swimming in a pool, a shark is going to magically appear and bite my foot off. <laughs> it's true, it actually is, I guess, good. This week, I read through the top 10 greatest phobias. Social fear, the fear of heights, insects and snakes, enclosed spaces, flying, the dark, getting a disease, blood, violent weather, and of course, death. The fear of death is one of the top 10 fears that the world has. But when we die to ourselves and we're reborn in Christ, we don't have to fear death. Jesus defeated death and we don't have to experience fear in death or life or circumstances. Being reborn in Christ brings us into his kingdom. We become co-heirs with Christ. We become free of fear. We become free of the stronghold of sin and darkness. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. God didn't want his children to be burdened by sin and shame. And so he did something so incredibly unbelievable. He sent his son Jesus to earth. He allowed his son to be sacrificed for the sin of the world so that we could have life. The resurrection of Jesus Christ allows us to be born again, to know the Father and to come into the family of God. Jesus came so that we could have life. So the resurrection has allowed us to die to oneself, to be reborn, and lastly, the resurrection has allowed us to live a life of purpose. He came so that we could have life, but he also came for his glory. Throughout the story of Jesus, it's only the Father that's glorified. Jesus, rising from the dead, calls us to share his good news. He has placed a calling and a purpose over each one of us to help build his kingdom. Matthew 28, 18-20 says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus' resurrection calls us to live out a life of purpose that he has for each one of us. He formed us and shaped us in the womb he put thought into who we are and the individual gifts that we have and the individual call that he's put in our lives. John 10.10 10 says, I have come that they may have life and life to the full. Because of the work of the cross and the invitation from God to have him living in us, we are able to fulfill his call in our lives. One of deep purpose, one where God can guide us and lead us and use us. And doesn't that just motivate you to do so? 
We should be passionate and striving to do all that we can for the one who came to save. Even if it was only you, he'd still do it. Even if it was only you, he'd still do it. Can you even comprehend that? Church, let's live our lives in accordance to God's plan because let me tell you, it's better than anything we could imagine for ourselves. Now, that doesn't mean it's going to be easy. It doesn't mean that God's will for your life is perfect and it's going to be smooth sailing. When Jesus rose from the dead, he called his disciples, and I'm sorry to tell you, but most of them died as martyrs. It's not sunshine and rainbows following God, but neither was Jesus' call. It wasn't even his sin he was being crucified for. But God's plan for us is one that blesses God and that you can walk into the gates of heaven and have him say, well done, good and faithful servant. Because that would be worth it for me. And when I was younger, I got really stuck on what I wanted to do with my life. And went through a real season after high school. What do I do with my life? What's, what do I do? I don't know what to do. What do I study? If you get the QPAC books... Have you seen how many options there is? That's stressful. And I, and I said to my mum, what do I do? I don't know what to do with my life. And she said to me, find out the will of God and do it wholeheartedly. I think that's pretty good advice, right? It certainly helped me. The resurrection allows us to die to oneself Sorry, did I miss something? Why is everyone laughing? Okay. Glenis Moncatenos. What a gal. She's probably watching right now. Hey, Mum. The resurrection allows us to die to oneself, to be freed from the grasp of the world, to be reborn in a new creation, free in Christ, and to live a life that is full of hope and purpose. The resurrection of Jesus is the moment of time that we always need to come back to. The stories and testimonies of Esther, Nehemiah, Noah, Moses, Joseph, Ruth, they are incredibly impacting and encouraging, but they've got nothing on Jesus. They've got nothing on this moment. This moment is the one that God's people were waiting for. And it's the one that we have to constantly go back to and reflect on. It should be daily on our mind, the sacrifice that Jesus made and the call that he has for each of our lives. We have to take up our cross and follow him. And perhaps you're sitting here this morning and you haven't been ready to to die to oneself. Perhaps it's a bit too scary and uncertain. And I want you to know this morning that God died for you because he loves you. And that through this step of faith, he can free you from the things of this world. Or perhaps you're sitting here this morning and you've given your life to God and you've surrendered and you're waiting for God to make you a new creation free from the things of the world. And I want you to know that when you make the commitment to God, that he will be faithful to you and to begin to work in you in his timing. 
Or perhaps today you're unsure of the call on your life. And I want you to know that God has an individual plan and purpose for you. The resurrection of Jesus Christ was for you and me. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we just thank you that the cross has allowed us to be freed of the things of this world. We just thank you that the cross has allowed us to be reborn in you. And we thank you that the cross has given us purpose and hope. Lord God, I just pray that you will be moving and meeting people where they are, Lord God. And, and we just ask that you'd be helping people to take that next step of faith, Lord God. We just thank you that you are a faithful God. We thank you that you did something just so unbelievable. You sent your son to die for us, Lord God. And I just pray that you'd help us to never, never stop forgetting that. We'd never stop striving to bring glory and honour to you because of your sacrifice, Lord Jesus. We just thank you that throughout it all, we know that we have hope in you of eternal life, Lord Jesus. And whatever trials and struggles we may face in this life, Lord God, we know that one day we will see you and you will open your loving arms and hold us, Lord Jesus. And you'll take us to a place where there is no pain or tears or hurt, Lord God. We just thank you for the hope we have in you. In your precious name, amen.